Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Good morning, P. Vine. I am so excited to join you today in celebrating what God is doing. You know, the song we just sang is so true. It really is all about Jesus. And our stories together declare that so loudly. Makes it so obvious to people all over P. Vine City. I love Pastor Joel, his heart for you, his heart for the gospel. I love what your church is doing across all your campuses and even those who are joining online. Again, my name is Andy and I'm honored to join you today, coming with expectation, quite honestly, not because of who I am and not even because of who Peavine is, but because of who Jesus is. The fact that his word is going to meet us this morning. The fact that he has a word for every one of us today. Some have come expecting to meet God. Some have come not really sure that they even believe there is a God. But the good news is he's not threatened by anyone, right? He knows who he is. And today, my desire is when we leave this place, we'll even know more clearly who the Lord is and his desire to work in my life and in your life and in our life together for his glory. This morning, I want to talk about just one word for just a few moments, the word confidence. Because if there's ever been a time and ever been a season in our own individual lives, in our families, in our churches, that we need to understand confidence it's now. If there's ever been a season of uncertainty, we live in it every day. Today, we may have gotten up and some of us are wondering if we're going to have a job this week or not. Some of us are waiting on a report from the doctor to come back. Some of us have a relationship and we're struggling and it's straining in that relationship and we're wondering what's going to happen on the other side of today. What's going to happen in the weeks and days to come? There's some of us we're so unsettled because we're not certain of anything. We've been overcome by the uncertainty of the things in our life. And the fact is, oftentimes, it's what we don't know that overwhelms us. It's what we don't know. It's the uncertain things that make us unsettled in our life. And even though there are things we know, and even though there are things we expect, and even though some things go exactly the way we expected, it's those unsettled things, it's those uncertain things that take the breath out of us. They're like a gut punch sometimes. In a few moments, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at the last few verses as John writes up his letter there. It's at the end of the New Testament. So if you get to the end, if you get to the maps at the back, take a left. If you get to Revelation, take a left. Get to Jude, take a left. Get to 3 John, take a left. You're with me. 1 John chapter 5 is where we'll be in just a few moments. And here's what I want us to realize. John is going to let us know that the confidence we have doesn't come from who we are. It comes from who Jesus is. You see, John understood that there are times that we have these doubts in our hearts and minds, and doubts often lead to disruptive questions. These disruptive questions are sometimes about us. Am I really who I think I am? Do, do I really know what I think I know? Is this relationship right? Is this thing, this situation, is this really the way it's supposed to be? Sometimes it's doubt about others. We begin to question whether they love us or not. We began to worry whether we're pleasing them or not. We began to, to wonder if that relationship is going to make it or not. And sometimes those doubts disrupt us even in our relationship with God. Where those doubts began to overtake the confidence and the certainty that we once had. Where what we once would have said, well, here's what I know, 
Now we don't say it quite so boldly. We ask it almost as a question rather than a declaration. And John, in these last few verses of 1 John chapter 5, as he wraps up his letter, he's going to help us understand this because here's the thing. John knew that our confidence must be in the word of God. And if our confidence is in the word of God, then we've got to live out, we've got to walk out the hard things in God's word so that when the hard things in life come, we can walk through those hard things. I don't know about you, but I think about not just my life over 52 years, but I think about even the last few months. I think about the last year, and if you're like me, you don't have but a moment to pause and it take but a second to realize there's been some hard stuff. There's been some moments that didn't seem fair. There's been some people who've said things that you didn't see it coming the way they were going to treat you. There's been some disappointments. There's been some things that you even surrendered to the Lord and you believe that God was going to do something and you're still waiting, wondering, God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to fix me? And John's going to help us this morning make a deposit. We're going to invest a few moments in these verses so that the word of God and the spirit of God can make a deposit in our soul, a deposit of the confidence of who God is. A deposit of the confidence so that what we have and what we know and who we know, which is Jesus Christ, becomes contagious not only in a service like this, not only in moments at church, but even in the hard things in life that people will look at us. And as Peter said, they'll look at us and say, tell me why in the world you have that hope? Why in the world is it you have a smile when everything's crumbling? Why is it that you have confidence when everything is so uncertain? And church, I want to remind us, you know what? That is exactly what the world needs to see. They don't need to see arrogance. They don't need to see confidence in our own selves and our own abilities. They need to be certain of our certainty of Christ in our life and of his word. So I want you to look with me beginning in verse number 18. 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse 18. And as we read these, keep this in mind. What we know gives us the courage to face what we don't know. And what we know provides the certainty in the midst of the realities of uncertainties in our lives. So confidence. Look with me, beginning in verse number 18, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. And John writes, he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And the last verse, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Just a few verses as John is landing his letter, as he's writing to believers. Let me give you a little background. He's writing to Christians who are in unsettled times. He's writing to believers in a time when there was a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos and a lack of confidence. He's writing to a church and to those who follow Christ and they had some who had been part of them at one time who had given up on Jesus. They had some who at one time were part of what God was doing and they were confident in Christ and now they're saying, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not sure about church. Man, I'm just kind of gonna do my own thing. There were others who John was writing to who claimed to be followers of Jesus but yet were living like the world. Oh, their their Sunday morning might look different for an hour or two, but the rest of their life looked just like the world. And so there was this confusion in the church about, wait a minute, I thought if we follow Jesus, it meant this. I thought if we follow Jesus, he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me daily. But yet they were looking at people living for themselves, doing everything like the world except for an hour or two 
during the week. Then there were false teachers that had come into the church. There were those who came in the church and said, hey, Jesus is good, but we've got something better. Jesus is wonderful, but we've got something even more wonderful. Hey, let's get past Jesus, okay? Can, can we stop talking about Jesus? Can we move on past him? There was all this chaos, all this unsettledness. And in the midst of all of this, John writes to bring clarity. Now, we won't take time, but if you were to go to the book of 1 John and count how many times he says, we know, we know, we know. 17 times John says that. Now, why would John write 17 times in a relatively short letter, 17 times he says, we know, we know, we know. Well, because John knew they had forgotten what they know. You with me? That, that happens to me sometimes, where what we know, we begin to doubt. And we're like, why am I doubt? I thought I knew this. I had this settled. I, I was sure of this, but now I'm not so sure. And John reminds the church then, and he reminds us now, we've got to know what we know. And he doesn't just say it once or twice or five, 17 times. We know, we know, we know. And this morning as we leave this place, as you leave whatever campus you're on, as you step away from your computer, if you're watching online, we all need to say, Lord, give us the confidence of John to say, here is what I know. I may not understand why some people are acting like they do. People are crazy. You with me? I may not understand what our government does. Oh, my goodness. I may not understand sometimes why I do what I do. But, Lord, I know who you are, and I know what your word is, and I know who Jesus is, and I know who I am in Christ. He wants us to have that kind of contagious confidence. So let's unpack this, and let's see how, as John concludes this letter, he gives us a beautiful summary, a beautiful ending description of God-given confidence. What does this look like in our life? What does it look like practically when we go back to life? When this wonderful moment of gathering together, this wonderful moment of worship together, this wonderful confidence that we have in the songs we're singing and the experience we have together, when we go back to life, what does it look like? Well, let's walk through and unpack these. Notice, first of all, in verse number 18, talk about walking out some of the uncomfortable things, some of the hard things in Scripture so we can live out the hard things in life. Here's one of them. Look what he says. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Not about you, but even just a casual reading of that verse kind of makes me go, wait a minute, I, I'm not sure I like what John's saying. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I can do what John is saying. Because look what he says. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now let me help you here. If we're not careful, this is one of those places where we make it say what we want it to say, and then we say, see, you can't count on the Bible. Man, it just says that Christians, that followers of Jesus, that believers are supposed to be sinless, that we're perfect. Well, man, I know I'm not, and I know some of these folks aren't, because I've seen them at Walmart parking lot. They took my parking lot. I saw them at work. I saw them on the ball field with their kids, man. That mama was about, yeah, you thought I was going to say daddy. That mama was about to come out of the stands. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. Look again at the text closely. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. It's very interesting because the original language is in present tense. So in other words, what John is saying is he's not saying that Christians are without sin, but here's what he is saying. He's saying if Jesus Christ is Lord of our life, if the Spirit of God is living in us, if we're spending time in the Word and we're letting the Word get into our lives, then it's not that we're sinless, but as Christians we will sin less. That's the first principle. We know that we should sin less. You with me? Now, even that can be challenging at times. 
When we think about the idea that we know, John says, we know we should sin less. We know that, don't we? That whether you're a child who's given your life to Christ, a teenager, a young adult, a senior adult, we all know when Jesus becomes Lord of our life, it's not just that Jesus says, okay, I come in your life, now you just do whatever you want to, when you die, I'm gonna take you to heaven, and whatever you do, I'll just forgive you. you just, whatever you want, man, it's all you now. That's not what he said. He talks about taking of our cross. He talks about the first being last. He talks about how if he's gonna be Lord of our life, then he has to be that with a capital L. He's not a genie in the bottle that we rub to have him come help us do what we're going to do or bless the decisions that we've already made or the things that we're going to do by our own strength. But yet we know that too many times we lose sight as John's readers had and as we do sometimes, we forget as followers of Christ, there should be less sin in my life today than there was a week ago, a month ago, or a year ago. The church, unfortunately, we get so called up sometimes in the grace of God, we forget the truth and the justice of God. <laughs> we get so called, well, man, I'm just glad they love Jesus. I mean, they, they may be living this way and they may be not unfaithful to their wife. They may be drinking. They may be using foul language. They may be cheating on tests. They may, but you know what? At least they love Jesus. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> no, if we love Jesus, then the love of Christ compels us to surrender our will to him. John chapter one is a, a, beautiful, a beautiful description of this. And John, when we're told the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and it says, we beheld the glory of God. And check this out. And it says, this is what we saw. And the rest of the gospel of John is what shows us this, full of two things, grace and truth. We beheld the glory of God full of grace and truth. Now check this out. If we're not careful, we lean one of those two ways. We're either the one who's all about grace and hey, let's not talk about consequence. Let's not talk about truth. Let's not talk about the fact that God's defined marriage and we don't get to define it. Let's not talk about what it says about giving. Let's not talk about serving. Let's just say that God just loves everybody. I mean, just the grace of God is so big and it is big, but the grace of God is connected to truth. John 1 says we saw Jesus full of grace, but also full of truth. He had grace for the woman who was called in adultery, but he also said, go and sin no more. Hello. You see, we should know, we know we should sin less. We know that. You see, John's warning is against a lifestyle of sin. He's talking about a continual habit. And the truth is, John says, we know. Look what he says, verse 18, we know that anyone, look at this, born of God does not continue to sin. Now, if you made a religious decision, you may give up on that. If you decide that you like the church or you like Pastor Joel or you like the music and you say, man, that kind of makes me feel good. I feel good about this. I'm, I'm going to stay in the feel good thing. At some point, the feel good's going to go away. But if you have been born of the spirit of God, then John says here, we know that we will not continue to sin. Can you imagine what would happen in your circle, your family, your friends, your coworkers, if we took this verse to heart? If we said, spirit of God, word of God, let me have the courage to stop doing some of the things I keep doing that are not honoring to you. Lord, let me live my life in such a way that your glory and your truth, your grace and your truth are demonstrated. Let me say when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Let me confess my sin to you, as John says here in 1 John. We know we should sin less. Isn't it interesting that last statement, and evil, the evil one cannot harm them, he says. Look at the end of verse 18. The evil one cannot harm them. So in other words, here, here's the thing. He's taking away the blame game. Now, I know you, you don't do this, but my kids did, and, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, where we want to blame. The devil made me do it. My friends made me do it. If my boss wasn't such a jerk, I wouldn't act like a jerk. 
If my spouse wouldn't push my buttons, if my kid would clean up their room, if those people on the interstate in the left lane would drive fast and not slow, I wouldn't be this way. (laughs) But yet John says, hey, wait a minute. It's lame to blame. You can't say the devil made me do it. Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. He says the evil one cannot be blamed for it. See, John knew that spiritual defeat often gives rise, listen to this, to spiritual deception. That oftentimes when we have a defeat in our walk with God, we begin to think that somehow we're not where we were. Well, maybe I'm not saved because I said this or I did this or I acted this way or I thought this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it didn't take for me. Maybe, maybe my baptism, maybe my, my prayer for Christ. Maybe I need to do something different. I don't know, maybe there's a problem here. But listen to me, church. We know we should sin less, and here's what we also know. Spiritual failure does not mean that we forfeit salvation. Did you hear that? Spiritual failure does not mean that we give up our salvation. Spiritual failure does not mean that we forfeit salvation. However, we know we should sin less. But look what verse 19 says. We know that we are, look at this, children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So remember, we're talking about confidence. We're talking about confidence. And he says, first of all, we know we should sin less. Secondly, we know who we are. Second principle, we know who we are. Look again at verse 19. We know that we are what? Children of God. Now now think about this. In other words, our confidence comes from relationship. Our confidence comes from our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Our confidence comes not from what we've done, but what he has done. Our confidence comes not from our identity, but from Christ's identity as the Son of God, as the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins and laid in a tomb and rose again. That's where our confidence comes. We know who we are. Now think about this. Why does it matter who we are? Why does he say we know that we are children of God? Well, he tells us in the last part of verse 19. Did you catch it? And so we know that we're children of God, and we also know the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, you see, John didn't start with the last part. He, he, he didn't just say, and we know the whole world's under the control of the evil one, and everyone went, oh, I know, it's so bad. It's a bad world, man. It's so hard. It's just so cruel. It is. That's depressing. That's defeating. But notice he sets up the negative with the positive. Look again at verse 19. We know that we're children of God. So no matter how bad things are, we're reminded that we belong. We've been bought with a price. We belong because of the blood of Jesus to God himself. And that yes, the world we live in comes against us. It attacks us. It wants to tear down what God wants to build up. But yet, it's so powerful and so beautiful that he reminds us that sin makes us think that this world is all that there is. You ever notice that? That sinful self thinks, man, this world I've got to make into a paradise. This is my one shot to get whatever I want in life because I only have one life and I'm gonna live it however I want to. That's what sinful self thinks. That's what the one who's been deceived wants us to believe. You see, we begin to believe this is all we've got, so we gotta get what we want and take what we want and be who we wanna be. But those of us who know Christ understand there's eternal life. And in eternal life, through Christ, this life is not all there is. And as bad as this place gets, it's okay, because you know what? It ain't home. As bad as it gets, we don't say, oh my goodness, this world, I just want it to have flowers, and and I want my yard to be nice, and I want everybody to be kind to each other. And when you're merging in traffic, they let you in, and and at Walmart, when the line is long, and you've got two items, and they got 50, they they let you go in front of them. Why can't we just all be like that? Not going to happen until Jesus comes again. Until there's a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Walmart. Until that happens, 
Until that happens, it's just going to be frustrating. (laughs) You with me? It's just going to be frustrating. But notice John says, here's the thing though, as bad as it gets, the good news is this isn't home. You ever had a trip like that? I know I, I travel a good bit and there's been times when I've gone and stayed in the hotel and, and I, you know, I stay in these true now, T-R-U, the, they're kind of these hip, cool things and I'm like old, so I'm trying to be hip and cool. But anyway, so I go to these, and they're cheap. So I, I stay at these and, 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 and sometimes I'm like, man, this is so awesome. And, and the coolest thing, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, is they have this machine that makes pancakes. You wave your hand in front of it and it like drops down the little batter and it goes on the conveyor belt and cooks and it comes off on the plate. It's the coolest thing ever. So I'm like waving my hand, you know, and every time you wave your hand, it does like one. And some places are set up where you wave your hand, it does two pancakes. I'm like, this is so awesome. The other time, last time I stayed in the true, I couldn't wait for breakfast. I don't even eat breakfast. Usually I drink a protein, eat a protein bar, drink a protein shake, something like that. But I couldn't wait for pancakes because I get to wave my hand and they make some right there in front of me. How cool is that? But guess what? I get up that morning early so that I can be dressed, get my stuff ready, go down, wave my hand, get the pancake, eat the pancake, get in the truck and go to meet with pastors. The only problem is everything was fine until I got everything in my truck, came back in, went to wave my hand, and there's a sign on the pancake machine. You know what it said? Out of order. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's why I came. I mean, that's why I stayed here tonight, because I wanted to wave my hand and have a pancake thing drop and watch it. And so I asked the lady, I said, is it broken or are you just out of battery? She said, I don't know. I said, well, I mean, do, do you think, I mean, is someone coming? I don't know. She said, there's yogurt. There's, I said, yeah, yeah, I know there's yogurt and I know there's bananas and there's syrup. I want pancakes. And she said, well, I think that, I forgot the lady's name. I think such and such said that she's gonna make some pancakes. I said, no, no, I don't want her to make, I wanna wave my hand. And the lady's just looking at me like, you are a fool. I'm like, I know. See, sometimes this world, even at its best moment, can be disappointing. But here's the good news. John says, but the thing is, the one that we are owned by, the one who is our father, the home that we have, that he's building for us, the home, the place he's preparing for us, we will never be disappointed. The pancake machine always works. (laughs) Hello, it is a glorious place, and we're in his presence honoring him and worshiping him. Why? Because we know who we are. And church, can I remind us, as bad as things may get, the United States may not show itself as a Christian nation for the rest of our generation, certain generations to come, but you know what? It's okay. Because we're not just Americans. We're not just United States citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We've been bought with a price. We belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're children of the King. We know we are children of God. And I'm afraid that sometimes we'll lose sight of that. We get so wrapped up in what we want and how we want it. And it's a stunning statement when he says there at the end of the verse, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. He just said that before. Now he says it again. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Why would he say that? It's a stunning statement because here's the thing. We've got to know who we are because, listen, it is impossible to live for Jesus without Jesus. I'm going to say it again. It is impossible to live for Jesus without Jesus. You see what I'm saying? See, some of us, we're trying to be a Christian, but the problem is we don't have Christ. (laughs) There's some of us, we say we're trying to follow Jesus, but really we're just trying to follow what we think Jesus might do. We ask the question, what would Jesus do? Well, we have the answer in Scripture. We have the answer by the Spirit of God, so we don't have to wonder with a question mark. We can state it as a statement. We can be confident in who Christ is and what he's doing. You see, this morning, some of us, we need to grab onto that. We know who we are. Because if the enemy can make you doubt who you are, he'll make you doubt what you do. 
And if you become unclear and there's a lack of confidence and there's unsettledness in who you are and what you do, then guess what? You begin to doubt Christ. And when you doubt Christ, those who may be watching your life and you have no idea, they're just a step away. They're a half second away from trusting Christ themselves. But when they see you back away, when they see you settle down, when they see you sit down, then all of a sudden they do the same. The enemy knows this. We've got to have confidence. We know that we should sin less as followers of Jesus. There should be less sin in my life today than there was a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago. We know who we are. Verse number 20, look what he says. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we, look at this, we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the third principle, we know truth. So, so see how John's building our confidence? We know we should sin less. We know who we are. And by the way, if we know who we are, then we know the truth. And notice I capitalized the T. We know the truth with a capital T. Truth is not just a set of ideas. Truth is not just an agreement to certain beliefs. Truth, listen, biblically speaking, truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus said in John, not 1 John, but in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, I am a way or I am some way. He didn't say, I give some life or kind of life. He said, I am the way, I am the life, and he said, I am the truth. So listen to me, church. It's so vital that we understand that we don't discover truth, but God reveals truth. Notice the text again, verse number 20. We know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So it's not like you just got smarter than your friends who haven't accepted Jesus and you figured it out. That you found the secret treasure. That you rubbed the genie bottle a certain way and you got your wish. No, no. Listen, God pursued us. He revealed Jesus to us. We had to, yes, respond to that truth, but we respond to what he has shown us. We didn't discover it, but God revealed it to us. And we can know. Listen, we can have confidence. We know the truth. Young people, students, let me tell you something. You're going to be in an educational system, if you're not already, that tells you there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, the truth is that's absolutely wrong. There is absolute truth. It's the word of God. There is absolute truth. It's not even just what God says and what God does. It's who God is. There is absolute truth, and his name is Jesus. But we live in a time when even the church has wanted to step back on some things. And I'm so thankful, Pevine, that you and your pastor and your leadership here and you as a church family across these campuses and online, that in every place that you touch for Pevine, there's a clarity that this is the word of God, and we don't back away from it. It's not about what's comfortable. It's not about what's popular. It's not about what makes us feel better. It's about what does God's word say and what do I do with it? We know the truth. You know what? I think that's worth saying out loud. Let's just say that together. When the count of three. One, two, three. We know the truth. All the campuses say it one more time. We know the truth. Church, that's so vital because, again, if the enemy can make us doubt who we are and the enemy can make us doubt whose we are, then guess what? We start saying, well, then if I don't know who Christ is and I don't know who I am and I don't know who God is, how in the world can I know truth? We know truth. Do you see this confidence? Do you see how John is putting this in our hearts? Do you see how he's building this up in us? That truth is not just principles, it's a person. That the confidence we're talking about is not confidence of who we are, is not confidence of our experience or confidence of our abilities, but it's confidence in Christ and Christ alone, in Christ and through Christ, Christ in me, Christ through me. Confidence. Man, the world needs to see confidence. 
But then the last verse of 1 John chapter 5, very interesting, the last verse, the last thing he says, and you know, the last words are usually so important, right? Because we know people are gonna remember those more than anything else. Look what he says, just one sentence. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that interesting? I mean, of all the, he doesn't say, hey, dear children, high five each other. Dear children, it's gonna be okay. Dear children, I'm glad you read my letter all the way to the end. Thank you very much. That's not what, he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now think about this. Why in the world is this the last phrase? Why does he say, keep yourselves from idols? Because here's the thing. If we know we should sin less, and we know who we are, and we know the truth, then guess what? Last principle, we know what to do. We know what to do. Keep yourselves from idols. You say, well, man, that's easy. <laughs> I don't have a Buddha in my house. And I mean, when I go eat the lunch place, they got one, but I don't rub his belly. I don't, I don't get around that. Yeah. I don't have any idols. Well, maybe we do. We just don't call them that. But see, an idol is anything or anyone that takes the place of God in our life. Sometimes our idol might be our income. It might even be our position. That idol, listen, that idol might even be our kids because they've taken the place of God. It might be our spouse, they've taken the place of God. It might be our success, it's taken the place of God. It might be our struggles because we're proud of the fact that we're struggling and that things are hard. And we like to let people know how hard things are for us. Anything or anyone, he says, keep yourselves from idols. See, church, we know what we're supposed to do. John ends his letter by saying, listen, the bottom line is you know what to do. But when we lack confidence, when we're unsettled, guess what? We stop doing the very things that bring the clarity. Man, I don't know what God's doing, so I'm not in his word. I don't know what's happening in my marriage, so I'm not praying with my spouse. I don't know how things got so jacked up with my kids and why we're just not even communicating. So we stop praying. We know what to do. See, oftentimes in following Jesus, the problem is not knowing what to do. It's doing what we know we ought to do, even when we don't feel like it, and even when we want to do something different, but yet we've got to do what is obvious. Keep yourselves from idols. There's some of us this morning, what's keeping us from Jesus is the idol of religion. You're trying to find a church with a process or a program or a pastor or an experience that somehow fits into everything for you and you don't understand. Jesus said you gotta die to yourself. All of your thoughts, all of your wants, all of your questions, all of your successes, all of your knowledge, all of your doubts, it's, it's all gotta die so that he can be Lord of your life. There's some of us here as a follower of Jesus, we, we have idols that we've set up. Maybe it's the idol of theology. We love talking about and studying about God, but we're not living for God. I mean, we can debate with the best of them all these different nuances of Scripture and all these different translation issues and and all these different theological slants, and, and that's great, but at the end of the day, who cares? We're not making a difference in our family, in our circle of friends, or in our community. We're talking about God, but we're not even talking with God. We're not saying, Lord, how do you want to work in my life? We're trying to figure out how God might work if we sort somehow figured out the secret formula, the, the, the way to use him as an app. If I just get this app set up where, right, with God, I can get God to do what I want him to. Keep yourselves from idols. We know what to do. 
We've got to guard against anything or anyone that takes God's place in our life. You see, here's the thing. What we know gives us courage to face what we don't know. What we're confident in gives us the courage to walk into things that we don't know the outcome in. And this morning, church, I want to remind us that God wants to bring clarity in our chaos, certainty in our uncertainty, confidence even when we just don't know because we know Him. We know we should sin less. There's some of us this morning is a time of recommitment. We've sort of excused our sin. Well, that's just the way I am. I just get angry. That's just the way I am. I just act this way. That's just the way I am. I, I, I just this, this kind of have this struggle. And I guess this is just my thorn in the flesh. Just this one, this one sin. And, it, and, we, and we've made it an idol. Or some of us, we need to remember who we are. You're not just on the fringe like, well, I barely got in. I'm saved, but I'm on the outside. You know, you're a child of the king just like I am. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords has a purpose for you to bring glory to himself, not just for your good, but for his glory. We know that. We know we should sin less. We know who we are. We know the truth. Are we walking it? Are we living it? Are we telling it? We know what to do. Some of you, you know what to do today. Keep yourselves from idols. Maybe your idol is your pride. You need to give your life to Christ. Yeah, but my family thinks I'm saved. My friend thinks I'm saved. My boyfriend, my girlfriend thinks I'm saved. My parents think I'm saved. Well, who cares what they think? If you're lost, get right with Jesus today. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now, you can say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sin. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And Lord, I want you to save me, to redeem me, to change me, to give me hope, to give me life. Come into my life. Forgive me. You know what to do. Give your life to Jesus today. There's some of you saw the testimony of baptism. You need to be baptized. You know what you need to do. Your idol is your pride. Man, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't have to be baptized to be saved. No, but if you're saved, you want to be baptized. If you're on team Jesus, you want to put on the uniform and let people know, man, you've been redeemed, you've been changed. And maybe you need to come in a few moments to one of the next step stations and say, you know what, I need to be baptized. I was saved a week ago, a year ago, a decade ago. I need to be obedient through believer's baptism, baptism by immersion, showing that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. There's some of you, you know what to do. God's calling you to join this church. Right where you are, whether online, whether one of the campuses or here, the main campus, God's calling you, the Lord's calling you. You know what to do. Well, I'm going to wait and talk about it. I'm going to wait and see. I'm gonna, why? Partner with what God's doing. Be part of the miracle called Peavine. For the glory of God, do it. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. We thank you for the confidence that you give us. And, Lord, I pray in just a moment when we stand that we would keep ourselves from idols and we would do what we know we ought to do. There'd be confidence. Those who need to come and say to some, one of these pastors at the next step, station, I need Jesus, I need to be saved. Those who need to take a next step toward baptism, a next step toward membership, that, Lord, as we stand in the moment, we wouldn't hesitate, that, Lord, we would have the confidence that comes from your word and by your spirit for your glory, that we would say yes, and that our confidence would be contagious, and it would stir others to trust you, to love you, and to live for you. We pray this in that strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we stand all across this room, as we stand all across the campuses. The next step stations are available. Pastors are here for you. This is your time. Keep yourselves from idols. You know what to do. Be confident for the glory of God. Let's worship together. You come. Thank you, Andy, for that incredible message and uh, how to have confidence. And uh, confidence for us is having a relationship with Jesus. That passage in 1 John says 
that you may know, that you know, and how do we know? And that is by having a relationship with Jesus. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. Um, our sin separates us from God. There's nothing we can do to fix the problem we have with sin. We've got to be willing to admit that. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, that on the third day He rose again. And then we have to confess Him as our personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you're watching this morning and you've never done that. And today God has spoken to your heart. You need to give your heart and life to Him. Simply tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me. Right now, Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, I ask You to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to You. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, welcome to the family. We want to celebrate that with you. We want you to know you aren't on this faith journey alone. So if you would click on the link that we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. It's going to ask you just a couple of questions and, um, and you'll fill out that information. I'll get an email and I'll be in touch with you this week. I have enjoyed our time together uh, this Sunday morning. I uh, look forward to these times each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.